0: You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, let's open the Word of God to everybody's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Zechariah, would you please? I want you to find Zechariah chapter 1. If you were in the early service, we've already been in this book. And if you were not, in the next hour, we're coming right back to it. In fact, in all the evening meetings, we're coming back to it. Uh, This is a a, a sadly and sorely neglected book of the Bible. It is referred to as one of the minor prophets. But I want to remind you, they're minor in size, but not in message. Every word of God is pure. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So every word of the word has something to say to us. Uh, Even these portions of Scripture that were not written to us, uh, some of these prophetic sections that deal directly with Israel still have a message for us because they help us know God better. They help us understand the eternal truth that applies in every nation and in every generation. And so that's really what we're searching the scriptures for this week. And I bring you to Zechariah because I've come to believe in recent days that Zechariah is one of the great revival books of the Old Testament, it is a book of spiritual awakening. Now, let me just tell you this before we read the Scripture this morning. Zechariah himself is a very unique character. Did you know, I think there's something like 27 different men in the Bible that bear the name Zechariah. So it would be really easy to get confused which Zechariah are we talking about. But maybe I can help you just a little bit. We do know that at least at the time of his writing, he's a young man, and we believe that he was both a prophet and a priest. Now, He is the Zechariah that Jesus referred to in Luke chapter number 11. That's fascinating to think that when Christ came, he referenced this prophet. And here's what he referenced, not his preaching, but his death. Luke chapter number 11, Jesus talked about the blood of Zechariah who was slain between the temple and the altar. So we get the idea from that. And, of course, Jesus said judgment is coming on those people uh, who put him to death. We get the idea from that that this man's message was not well received and that because it was not well received, the people rebelled against it. God said they put him to death. Now, maybe you thought about killing the preacher a time or two in your life, but I want you to know it's pretty bad when you get so angry at the messenger because you don't like his message that you put him to death this man died for the word we're about to read ponder that just a moment and fascinating truth about this book is that it is in fact not a book that is concentrated on judgment it is a book of restoration it's a book of hope you know you can't make anybody happy so you come along preaching restoration and hope and sinners they don't even want that because they don't want you to upset their apple cart they don't want to change anything you see And when God's truth comes, it always brings change. Follow along as I read. Look at Zechariah 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. I love this. And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to take your pen, and I'd like for you to circle two things in verse number three. I'd like you to circle the word ye, turn ye unto me. Ye means me. In other words, God has a message for me in this. He's speaking directly to his people. He says, turn ye unto me. And then, mark this, I will. I love the I wills of the Bible. And do you see the divine order here? You can always be sure God's going to do what he wants to do and what he is supposed to do. The question is never with God. The question is always with us. So God speaks... Reveals himself. That's what scripture is God's revelation of himself. And then we respond to God's revelation and when we respond the right way to God's revelation. I love this God says then I'll respond to you. See we got a world of people right now wanting to get God's attention, but they won't give God their attention. Everybody wants to claim the promise without applying the principle. So I'm sorry, you you don't get heaven's ear and all that God has for you and all the joy and hope and restoration if you are not ready to let God do in your life what God wants to do. I want you to write this down in the margin of your Bible next to verse number three because it's just a little Bible study, a a foundation for our study in Zechariah this week, but I want you to write this expression down, getting ready for God. I tell you, the whole world is actually getting ready to see God. The whole world's getting ready to meet God. Every Christian getting ready to go be with God. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that God wants to come among his people. God wants to speak to us, show us himself, do great and mighty things that we know not. But the key to that is we have to get ready for God. See, look, revival is not hard. I grew up listening to people talk about revival like revival was some very difficult thing. Can I just ask you, do you honestly think breathing fresh life into something is hard for the God who gave life to start with? I mean, look, he stands in a graveyard and says, Lazarus, come forth. One old preacher said if he hadn't called him by name, every dead man in that cemetery would have come out of the grave. Do you really think it's hard for a Christ who can raise dead people to put new life, abundant life, fresh life in his people? Now, absolutely not. Nothing's too hard for our God. Look, God brings life and life again in a moment of time. Revival is that instantaneous work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of his people. But please don't miss this. The problem is not with the instant. The problem is with the process leading up to the instant. You see, God is all Always ready to save but he's got to get sinners ready to believe God is always ready to reclaim the prodigal but he's got to get the prodigal to come to the end of himself God is always ready to bless his people and to build his church but he's got to get the church ready to respond to him in obedience and so the great emphasis of all of Scripture but especially of Zechariah From the very beginning words of the prophecy is this, that we must get ready for God. Now, we're in a prophetic book. I understand that. But some people get so enamored with the prophecy, they miss the practical. So they start looking to future events, and everybody wants to talk about the future events right now. But what about here and now, right where we are? What's what's God's personal message to us in this prophetic book of the Bible? The personal message is this. Ye, ye, ye must turn to the Lord, seek the Lord, and when you do that, you can be sure of this, he will turn to you. It's another way of saying what James wrote in the New Testament, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Aren't you glad God always keeps his promises? Look, the God of the Bible is the God of truth. It's impossible for God to lie. So everything God foretells, he always fulfills. You want to know the near presence of God? You can know the near presence of God if you will get ready for him you see i I think sometimes we're even inviting the lord lord come make yourself at home with us but we got a house so dirty and filthy and so much clutter around look we got to get ourselves and all of our junk out of god's way so god can do what he delights to do so the question is how I think that's a legitimate question and a good starting point for us. How do we get ready to hear from God this week? How do we get ready to know what God has for us? How do we get ready for God to accomplish His work in our hearts and homes? Well, let me give you three principles, and I want you to write them down this morning, would you? Somebody told me years ago that a short pencil is better than a long memory. So take out a pencil or pen, and I want you to write them down so that you can meditate on them. So you can use it as a spiritual checklist this week because everything else I'm going to show you from the Word of God is meaningless if these three principles are not true. How did Zechariah try to get these people ready for God? By the way, may I just time out a second, parenthesis, May I give you the context of the text? These people had been rebuilding the temple. Remember, they'd been in captivity. They'd been brought back from captivity, and God said, you've got to get my house in order. The manifest presence of God among his people was the temple in the Old Testament. So God said, before you start building your houses and remodeling your shacks, then I want you to rebuild my temple and, and reinstate the worship. And so they started, and they've been working on this temple for about 12 years. Think about that just a minute. For about 12 years, and they're only about halfway done. So in a dozen years, they got the house about halfway finished and they're looking at this shell and they're thinking about what they, what they need to do and they're frankly a little overwhelmed with it all. Sound familiar? With where they are and where they need to be and it's at that moment that Zechariah steps onto the page of human history and onto the platform of the Hebrew people, and under inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, look, God's got more for you. Don't miss it now. Don't quit when God's getting ready to do something. The Lord wants to visit you in this place. Let's get ready for him. In fact, this, this might interest you to know uh, but but Zechariah is preaching about the same time as, as Haggai and Malachi. It's the same generation of people. And in those same prophetic scriptures, God actually says that this temple would know greater glory than the previous temple that had been destroyed. Now, i got to tell you, all the old men are scratching their heads saying, we saw Solomon's temple and the splendor of it. There's no way this temple in the ruins can ever have greater glory, but it would. Would you like to know how? This temple that they were rebuilding was the temple that God in the flesh was going to walk into. Think about that. The glory on two legs, might I say it that way? The glory in a body, the image of the invisible God in flesh, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was going to walk into this temple. Please don't miss this, church. They weren't building a building. They were building a future. This was not about the externals. This was internal. This is not physical, this is spiritual. This is not a a temporal building that is at stake. No, no, this is the presence of God among his people. Look, we're not just dealing with externals and peripheral things this week. We're getting down to the heart of the matter and we're saying, Lord, we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. We want the Lord to be at home in his house. We want Jesus to do his work in us. How do we get ready for that? All right, here's the first principle. Look at verse one. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, by the way, aren't you glad God works in, our, in this month and in this year? And no, no new scriptures being given, so don't, don't mistake. But I love this. God still speaks. God still works. Yes, he does. He's the same God. Yesterday, today, forever, always the same. I am the Lord, I change not, the next book of the Bible would say. Look at it. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came, I want you to mark this, the word of the Lord. Here's the first principle. Write it down. Number one, if you want to get ready for God, first there has to be an openness to hear. An openness, wide open. Get your ears open. Get your heart open. Get ready to hear what God wants to say. When Jesus came, uh, listened to all of his parabolic teaching, and very frequently he would say, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God spoke to those seven churches. Everybody remember that? And every one of the messages ended the same exact way. Every message ended with an invitation. And what was it? Let him, whoso have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I just tell you, the same Christ who spoke in the New Testament, the same Spirit that spoke in Revelation, and the same God that spoke in Zechariah chapter number 1 is trying to speak to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have something to say to us. The question is not whether God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Did you know at this moment there's beautiful music in this room? There is beautiful music in this room at this moment. Somebody said, I don't hear a preacher. No, I promise you, there is beautiful music in this room at this moment. And you say, that preacher has got problems with his hearing or with his mind. One, there's no music in here. Yes, there is. You bring me a radio, let me start to tune the frequency, and immediately you would hear what's already here. Immediately somebody would say, oh, we know that station or immediately somebody would say, we recognize that voice, or I know that song. Do you understand that was here all along, but some receiver had to get on the frequency to receive what was already here? I want you to know that the God of the universe who upholds all things by the word of his power is at this moment speaking. The question is, are we open and ready to hear? By the way, the messenger is incidental. The preacher is secondary. One of my fears, Pastor, in special meetings is sometimes people get this idea that a preacher will come and the preacher will have some new thing to say and the preacher will somehow bring something. I just want you to know I'm just a messenger boy. That's all I am. I'm not even really the preacher this week. I work for the preacher. You understand that? Like, I'm just just permitted, and honored to do so, but permitted to get to speak this week. But I have nothing to say. God has much to say to all of us. Look, you don't need to hear my voice. We all need to hear God's Word. So look beyond Zechariah and see Jehovah God. Don't just listen to the tone of the preacher's voice. Don't get distracted by, by some material thing and miss what it is God is trying to do. We must be open enough to hear. Let me just show you something. Hold your place here. Would you hold your place? Go back in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. You know Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote three books. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was young and in love. Anybody young and in love? Would you raise your hand? Two of you. That's good wonderful. I may change the theme of this meeting, you know. He wrote Proverbs when he was middle age at the height of his power, wisdom for life. He wrote Ecclesiastes as an old man. Looking back on life, full of regret, had a lot to say. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And would you underline this in your Bible? Be more ready to what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Be more ready to what? one more time be more ready to hmm, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. I think it's fascinating. In verse 1, you've got the foot and the ear, and in verse 2, you've got the mouth and the heart. Isn't it interesting how God's addressing like every part of the life? He gets way down deep to the heart. Everything else grows and flows out of that. But do you understand what he's saying? He's saying there was a bunch of people coming to the temple and they were bringing their sacrifices and they were bringing their offerings and they were going through the motions and mechanics of it all, the religious routine, but something was not right with their heart. Watch this. They were willing to give a little money, but they didn't want to receive what God had to say. Do you understand that we have the same problem today in churches? So people, they don't, they don't care to give, throw a little money in the offering plate, give a little money online, give an hour to God. I mean, and we can all give an hour to God and come to a service. We, we give a little bit, but that's not the question. I'm not asking, are you here today? I'm asking, are you here to hear today? I'm not asking, are you present? How many of you know you can be present and not be present? I'm asking, are you here plugged in, in tune, on the same page with God, in step with the Holy Spirit, saying, dear God, please speak to me? He said, we're we're more ready to speak than we are to hear. Now, that, that hits me as a preacher. Like, I wonder, did I come in here today more ready to give a sermon and a Bible study, or did I come in here today saying, dear God, just speak to me? Be more ready to hear, friends. My dad used to say when I was a boy, he said, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you'd listen twice as much as you talk. I haven't you ever heard that before? I don't think that's exactly why he did it, but it's a good object lesson. The reality is I think sometimes we're so numb and we've heard it all before. Think how many revival meetings you've been in. Think how many times we've come to a meeting and said, well, we're going to have a good service. And left exactly like we came in. Do you know why? We weren't ready. It wasn't that God wasn't ready. It's that we weren't ready. And if you want to get ready, number one, there must be an openness to hear. Go back to Zechariah 1. Let me give you a second principle. There must not only be an openness to hear, but secondly, there must be a willingness to turn. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? So somebody says, all right, all right. Well, I'll listen. I'll pray. God will speak to me. Okay look at verse number 3. When God speaks, when the word of the Lord comes, what does he say? First word, turn. Thus said the Lord of hosts, turn. May I ask you, are you willing to repent this week? I'm not asking, do you hope somebody else repents? I come to meetings and people say things like this. I tell you, preacher, we're glad you're here because we really need revival around here. I'm going to give you the translation of that. I tell you, preacher, everybody else really needs to get right with God in this place. What's the old spiritual? Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So stop thinking about your spouse for a second and your kids and the people sitting across the auditorium and the guy sitting down the pew from you and start to consider your own heart. Are you willing for God to change you? You know, honestly, people say they want revival. I don't think they actually do. No, what they want is a continuation of their comfortable American Christianity. We have revival meetings hoping that maybe we can just hold on to what we got a little longer and extend what we have to the next generation of our kids and grandkids. I want you to know that's pretty low expectations. God doesn't ever just want maintenance. God wants much more. And I say to you, when real revival comes, something's going to change. Don't tell me the holy God comes among his people and nothing changes. There is a turning. I've had several people ask me recently. They said, "Do you actually believe in repentance? Do you believe in repentance?" May I ask you a question? Is it in the Bible? Then I believe it. And people get all nervous about that. But I don't. Want you to understand? Look, you can talk about about knowing God and people give mental assent to things and they feel pretty good about it. But repentance, you know what repentance does? It strikes at the heart of our problem. You know what the heart of our problem is? Sin. Sin. You know how people have to repent? Because they're sinners. <laughs> he says to lost men that were to preach repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came, what well, did he preach? Repent and believe the gospel. Somebody says, do you believe repentance or faith? Yes. Yes, they're inextricably linked. You, you, look, they're inseparable truths. You can't, you can't disconnect them. It's always been that way. Read the book of Jonah. Read the book of Jonah. And the Bible says in Jonah that when Jonah preached, they believed his message, right? Come to the New Testament, Jesus talks about the preaching of Jonah. You know what Jesus says about it? They repented at the preaching of Jonah. So I ask you a question. Did they believe or did they repent? The answer is yes. So yes, I believe in repentance. But I'm going to shock you for just a second. Did you know repentance is used more in Scripture for God's people than it is for lost people? See, we get this idea that Washington needs to repent. Brother, we need to repent. It's easy to confess everybody else's sin. What about our sin? Judgment must begin at the house of God. So let's let it begin with us. What's the sin the Holy Ghost is putting his finger on in your life right now? What's the dirty, rotten, stinking thing that's grieving the Holy Spirit of God in your life? You know the most deceptive sins are not sins of the flesh, they're sins of the Spirit because they grow underground like a cancer. They corrupt and decay and corrode. See, we want to confess their their sodomy and their abortion and their you fill in the blank. Wait a minute. What about our jealousy and our envy and our anger and our critical spirit? It gets really quiet to start talking about that kind of thing. But you'll know, you'll know revival has come when people start getting thoroughly right with God and thoroughly right with one another. Because they are willing to turn. That's repentance total change of mind that will lead to a change of action. This is, this is not just we give God a nod this week. No, Lord, I want you to turn over every rock in me and show me every wicked thing in my heart. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What is this? This is a willingness to turn. Are you willing for God to change you? Because if you are not, you are not ready for God. And then there's a third principle. Let's read on. He says in verse 4, Be ye not as your fathers, and whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn, there's that word again, ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Do this. I want you to underline the word hear and the word hearken, because that's the first two principles right there together. Hear that is the openness to hear, and hearken, that's the willingness to turn. Look at it, please. Hearing is receiving truth. Hearkening is responding to truth. They're not the same thing. So I want God to speak to me, and when God speaks, I'm not going to ignore him. I'm not going to say no to him. I'm not going to delay. I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. That is the essence of the word confess, confess. Confess doesn't mean weep, cry, and make, make God think you're really sorry. Confess means say the same thing. I'm going to tell you when people get right with God, when they stop saying their thing and they start saying God's thing. When you start calling your sin what God calls it, God says, that's good enough for me. You confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. The second you agree with God, get on the same page with the Lord, God says, you're clean. That's powerful. So, you want to be ready for God. Number one, there must be openness to hear. Number two, there must be a willingness to turn. Number three, there must be a consciousness of Christ. I love this. Did you know Jesus is in Zechariah 1? Did you know Jesus is in Zechariah 2? That's interesting to me. Somebody said, Well, preacher, aren't you a New Testament preacher? Yes, well, I, are you preaching from the Old Testament? Brother, I'm going to tell you, all Scripture is connected to one another. The eternal son didn't start in Bethlehem any more than the eternal spirit started on the day of Pentecost. And as I've meditated in Zechariah, I see Jesus. I think you can see Christ on every page of Scripture. But let me show you Jesus in Zechariah 1 and 2. Look in verse number 8. I saw by night, by the way, isn't it interesting, the Lord shows us so many things in the dark hours. I saw by night, and behold, look, don't miss this, a man riding upon a red horse, Please mark this, and he stood among the myrtle trees. That were in the bottom. And behind him were their red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered, The angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Remember, the eyes of the Lord in every place behold the evil and the good. You know, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro out of the whole earth. He, he sees it all. It's the, that's the principle here. But I want you to mark something. I want you to underline in verse 8, the man standing among the myrtle trees. And in verse 10, the man standing among the myrtle trees. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. It's my conviction, and most Bible teachers agree with this, that the man among the myrtle trees was not any man this is the God man in fact this is significant look at the verses carefully he distinguishes between the angel that had been talking to him and the man standing among the myrtle trees I love this this is not just another messenger Three times the Holy Spirit uses this expression, the man among the myrtle trees, the man among the myrtle trees, the man among the myrtle trees. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ took on a body when he came to Bethlehem, but our Christ has always been. He is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And all through the Old Testament, you have these Christophanies, these pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. I could take the entire day today and just walk you from Genesis through Malachi and show you all the times that Jesus, before he ever came to Beth, Bethlehem stepped into this world. Oh, I love this. Let me tell you who Christ is in Zechariah 1. He's the man among the myrtle trees. Why is that significant? Well, he reveals himself here among men. He's the son of man. Remember, he's he's the the one who, who reveals God to us in the flesh, the humanity and humility of Christ. But watch where he's standing. He's standing among the lowly trees. The nation of Israel here is not some giant oak. It's not some strong cedar. It's not some beautiful palm. What, what is the nation of Israel likened to here? They are a bunch of myrtle trees. You know the myrtle tree is? It's, it's a lowly tree. It's a, it's a humble tree. It's a, it's a commonplace tree. Oh, I love this thought. Would you like to know where Jesus shows up? Jesus shows up among those who are humble before God. Not those who think they stand. Not those who think they have some great thing to offer. But those that understand they are nothing, but they are needy of God. Christ comes among them. And I love this. The Old Testament prophet brings us to the eternal Christ. If you want God to show up, let Jesus be glorified. You know what the Holy Ghost wants to talk about? Jesus. Don't tell me you're having revival and nobody wants to talk about Christ. Because I want you to know, revival doesn't just make you sing songs and feel better and get a tingle up your spine. Revival brings you to Jesus and brings Jesus to you. And immediately, as soon as they hear, as soon as they begin to turn, what do they see? They see Christ among them. See, when you get your ears open to God and your life in step with God, immediately you begin to see Christ at every turn. Come to chapter 2, look at verse 1. I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, would you mark this? A man with a measuring line in his hand. <laughs> So he's the man among the myrtle trees in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he's the man with the measuring rod in his hand. Do you see a progression of truth here? In chapter 1, he is present. Anybody else glad Jesus is present? Yes? But wait a minute. He's not just present. He's active. Guess what he's doing? He's stretching the measuring line. In Scripture, this is called the plumb line of God. You know what a plumb line is, you builders, know. You stretch a line, you have some, some base that you work off of to make sure things are straight. May I tell you, sin is iniquity, it is crookedness, and the only straight thing to measure our lives by is not another man, not your idea of what's good, not what everybody else says is acceptable, but what does God have to say about it? And I love this, Jesus steps in with the line in his hand, And starts measuring everything. By the way, I wonder how the Lord would measure us. I wonder right now how we measure up to what God has for us. That's thought-provoking, isn't it? Forget me. Forget everybody else in the room a minute. Imagine there's nobody in this room but you and Jesus, and Jesus is stretching the line on your life. (laughs) And the Lord, who is always present and very present, begins to actively work in us, to show us not just where we are. Anybody else glad God doesn't just show you where you are? He loves you where you are. He meets you where you are. But he prays God. He doesn't leave you there. No, he shows you where you are. And then he shows you where he wants to take you. I say to you, God's ready. I believe I can speak with confidence and certainty on this. I think I'm standing on good ground theologically this morning. On the authority of the word of God, I want to tell you, God is sitting on ready today. Ready to speak, ready to work, ready to transform, ready to bless. God is a ready God. The question is, are we ready for Him? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.